We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 393. Our guest is an international show jumper and co-founder of Crooks Show Jumping. She has a career spanning her whole life and is really dedicated to both competing at the highest level and nurturing the next generation of equestrian talent. Together with her husband, she competes across the country, advocating for young horse development at top venues in the U.S. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Lauren Crooks-Brennan. Hi, Lauren. Hey, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for uh, giving me a call. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to talk with you more, but first tell me how you got started in the horse world. Yeah, so um, my parents are both trainers, and uh, we're from Washington State, just outside of Seattle, and got introduced to it kind of naturally that way, but really took to it just head on um, Mm -hmm. from a young age, trying to ride on my own. And, you know, I did all my grooming, all my, you know, fed my horse, everything from a really young age, kind of was a barn rat, if you so call it. So that's how I got introduced to it. And then over the years was more and more exposed. We never did any big circuits like Florida, but we would always go down for like two weeks in in the winter to California. So kind of over the years got more and more exposed to bigger things. And then that led me to where I am today. I love that. That's awesome. What you began your business, um, Crook Show Jumping back in 2010. Um, Yeah. I know before that you had gone to college and earned a degree in finance. Um, do you feel like that has helped your riding career? I feel like it's always, um, it's a it's a polarizing topic, right? Taking maybe a little bit of a, a break or a pivot from riding to go to college and get a degree and then come back to it. What was your experience like then? Yeah, so for me, I've always been into school, but at the same time, I did soccer and I was on different teams for that. And then I was, uh, of course, really heavily into riding. So from a pretty young age, I felt very confident with my time management. And I always had pretty good grades in school. I'm social, especially younger, kind of, I'm always the one I would sit in the front of the, you know, the front row, but like, I'd be talking to the people a couple rows back. So usually I'd get like, Hey, you need to like pay attention a bit, but Yet the grades were good, but I I loved being in school. I loved being involved in people who also weren't doing all the time what I was doing. And so for me, college wasn't even a question. Now, luckily, I had the ability to bring a horse with me. I kind of, uh, I did my own grooming, kind of would go after school, uh, like university classes, and then oftentimes would try to just pick up a little, you know, extra work or ride some other horses just to kind of stay going and doing things. And um, because I was never afraid of work and, you know, having to manage my time, I was always given good opportunities. So for me, it was the best thing I ever did. You know, I have friends that I'm still best friends with today that aren't in this industry. And, you know, it's something to fall back on this. There's so many different, you know, 
areas of this industry that don't get me wrong, training and riding and, you know, developing horses, that's my number one and and the business. But there's also, you know, what if I get hurt one day or mm-hmm. what if I want to change the route I'm in and, you know, all of that. So for me, that's just, yeah, it's some great life lessons and nothing I would, yeah, it's a great experience that I'd never uh, regret. Yeah. Amazing. You've obviously seen a lot of success in the ring, but I feel like you also really shine in developing young horses and um, really, you know, help them have long, successful careers. So what do you feel like drives you to work with young horses and ensure you're really setting them up for success? Because obviously there's multiple ways to kind of get to that point um, in in finding a string of horses for your riding career. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how you came to, you know, hone in that skill of developing young horses. Yeah, from so my first um, real jumper was a horse that we bought in Europe. And as a six year old, and we never had a big budget to go spend for me, you know, my parents were always the type that you work, you know, like, you buy a nice horse, but they're young. Um, you're not going to just go spend money on the finished product. You're going to work at it and you're going to develop them. So from a young age, that was kind of instilled in me naturally. Um, that first horse that ended up being, you know, my, my first horse, I won Grand Prix, a few Grand Prix on, we bought as a six-year-old and I was the one who showed it pretty much its whole life um, until it needed a drop down and it became uh, an amateur horse and leased out for a number of years. And then again, same thing after that, the next horse we bought was a four-year-old. So, you know, developing those horses, um, or a lot of times people would send me horses as a kid, even ponies that were maybe ex jumper ponies in Mm -hmm. Holland that I would have to produce and make a hunter pony, you know, and oftentimes a lot of judges or people would send me, um, horses that maybe came from the jumper ring, wanted to go to the hunter ring, or maybe it was a kind of a diamond in the rough and it needs to be produced. And so from a super young age, that was always something that my kind of real focus was on. Yeah. And that's really trickled down. I actually, you know, I'm here in Wellington and brought my first um, homebred and she just turned five. She was born in June. So she's really like four and a half. She's a bit late. I really had trouble getting that mare pregnant. It's an old Grand Prix mare of mine um, that we had bought as a six-year-old again. And um, I showed her up to the 150s. And so that's kind of just whether it's fine, mostly also that they are young horses, but a lot of times they're also horses that maybe changed avenues within, you know, jumper to hunter or, or, or actually recently I had an event horse, uh, that I produced into a hunter, a mm-hmm. really fancy one. So it's also maybe producing horses that aren't even necessarily young, but just you're, you're developing them into, a better version of themselves, I guess, into what they could really shine at. And I guess finding what that is, is what I love, you know? Totally. And obviously for anyone listening, we all know as equestrians, it's such a case by case scenario, you know, the whole process um, changes from horse to horse, but can you elaborate a little bit on how you maybe identify and nurture those like hidden talents or gems that you see in these horses that you kind of take on to develop? Yeah. So a lot of times um, I go off my feeling, which, uh, you know, it's hard to describe, but oftentimes, you know, 
what I feel in the canner, what do I feel when they approach and leave the fence? What do I feel off the ground to the fence? So a lot of times that sort of feeling, and I think some horses, there are some horses that really make you feel quite special as a mm-hmm. rider. You know, you get on and you you put your leg over the saddle and you really feel like they're with you. And maybe I have no idea what they're doing. I mean, an instance would be the uh, eventer yeah. turned hunter. He had no idea what to do as a hunter. Don't get right. like, but I, the minute I sat on him and jumped my first fence, I was like, this, you know, this is a, this is this. And we need to, I want to focus on, on developing him in for, for this ring. So a lot of it's that a lot of it, when I'm on the ground, watching a horse that maybe I haven't had an opportunity to sit on, it's just finding little things, you know, where, what's their expression to the jump or after the jump or, you know, if it's in a hunter, which most of my business is jumper. So I've actually talked more about that than my business does. Mm. I, but I, I did show the hunters a lot and for my junior career, and I still will, I will, I love producing them. I will still do that when the right one comes along. But, you know, in terms of the jumpers, yeah, just what the feeling is off the ground, how, what their canners, like their balance um, and all those things. And maybe doing things better than the person before did, you know, are they cranky? Well, why is it because what you're feeding or is it, you know, because they have ulcers or is it Mm -hmm. because the tax wrong and they're just mad. A lot of times it's as easy as those little things and um, they can't talk. Right. So we have to really be aware of that stuff. So what would you say are maybe some of common misconceptions among aspiring riders about maybe developing young horses for the top of the sport? Yeah, I, f- I feel like you have to just, it's a process, right? Like there's going to be days where, I mean, it's pretty funny. You can kind of look back at some of the top ground pre-horses and as five-year-olds, oftentimes, yeah, sure. Some of them look like great, but there's oftentimes some just really incredible horses that as a five-year-old, you'd be like, ah, that's nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think there's, you've got, just got to have patience and you, and I, and you have to, I have to even keep reminding myself, um, you know, patience, like let the horse figure out how to make their own mistakes and try not to overprotect them and jump every round perfect. Because really at the end of the day, then you're doing it, you're not kind of letting them figure it out. Right. And so I think, um, that's one of the big things is that, you know, everyone wants it to look perfect and be perfect all the time, but mm-hmm. they're animals and they're not, and we're not. Right. So I think letting that process, having a goal and where you want to go with that is really important, but at the same time, letting your horse make a mistake and if, you know, all of that stuff, um, and don't just focusing on yeah, clear round, clear round, clear round. Sure. Mm-hmm. There's a time and a place for that, but you also need to let them sort themselves out too. Totally. Um, yeah. I think that patience in this sport is, can be so difficult to hone in on, especially, you know, now when we're in Wellington this winter and it's just like, you want to go and do it and week after week after week. And if you're showing it better be double clear, like, you know, it just kind of that mentality of like, okay, we got to get ready for this. We got to get, you know, points for this. We have to qualify for this. And it's, it's so it's, it's just kind of become this kind of cadence of, 
constant and yeah. like constant perfection. And yeah. it's just, especially with the, you know, developing end of, of our sport, that's just not the reality of what it's going to be. There's going to be, no. there's going to be rails, there's going to be mistakes and that's, yeah. it has to be okay through the development process because that is, that's exactly what it is. It's a process. It's not going to be perfect overnight. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, especially here in Wellington, you have a show every week. I mean, even before season and after right. season. So it's really important, especially with the young ones or ones that maybe, you know, need to get more fit before they show so they can be at their best. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I think patience and trying to figure out when then to, to let your horse peak or to, you know, when to pull them out of the stall to show is just so important. So Definitely. And it's like, I, I always forget the fact that like five-year-olds are still like fully, like their bodies are still like changing and developing. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's, and it's like I said, I mean, I have my five-year-old that I bred who's, yeah, she's really not five until June. So it's quite late, but at the same time, you know, you're, so you I brought her here thinking I'll do, I'm going to do a little early in season then to be honest, she probably won't do so much until then the summer, you know, and, and so it's just kind of backing off and then mm. pushing a little bit and backing off more and then pushing a bit. So, yeah. Totally. Can you walk me through maybe some like key milestones in like a general training regime of a young horse? Like what kind of things are you looking for um, to kind of uh, check off those milestones or maybe when when you can tell a horse might be ready to um, have a little bit more of a push or maybe go up a level or go up some height? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you know, I try to keep it as simple with them as possible. I, I think it's really important not to skip the basics in just flat work. And I find a lot of people, you know, maybe just overbridle the horses or try to, you know, move too fast. I think it's so important that to, to do your homework at home and then go show, see how that does. And then just maybe because they're a little strong or maybe because they're this and that, like, don't just change the whole attitude, you know, go back home and work more on the flat work and, mm -hmm. and Cavaletti work and pull work, and then go to the next step. And, you know, for me, number one is most important things forward. Then it's learning how to wait and go mm -hmm. well left and go well, right. You know? And so really just not overcomplicating it. And I think once your horse feels like, you know, those steps are easy and they're able to take a breath doing it, then it's time to move up where it's like, Oh, you feel them relaxed and you're not just trying to get, okay, shoot. My horse was strong and tense. I'm going to go to a bigger bit and I need to get more tired and I need a whatever. Well, right. maybe just, you know, let them think about what happened and then do a little flat work and do a little work. It's not to say that maybe you do need to go to a stronger bit or they do need to be a bit more quiet or relaxed, but you know, oftentimes I feel like people just jump ahead and, okay, I need more control over, well, and then they skip, like, what's the most important thing? That's flat work, right? At mm -hmm. home, Cavaletti work and pull work. A lot of the times I'll do a lot of flat work over pulls and Cavalettis. And when I start to feel like my horse's stride is more of an accordion, instead of just a young horse that has one or two gears, that's when you know you're starting to get somewhere, right? And so as you feel that, that's when you can start to to make the exercises harder or ask them to jump a little bit bigger or whatever it might be. Definitely. 
purchasing an international horse is a big investment. You deserve a dedicated partner that can really streamline the process and help you avoid overpaying unnecessary bank fees and high currency exchange rate markups that inevitably come with buying a horse overseas. GPS Capital Markets is here to help and they have decades of experience helping clients from the equestrian industry specifically. Amidst the recent backdrop of inflation and uncertainty in the world, the euro has steadily grown more expensive, but GPS is here to help. For more information about GPS and the services that they offer, visit their website at www.gpsfx.com or call their industry specialists at 714-414-5821 for the best way to save money and time when you need to send foreign currency. All right, let's get back to the episode. I think uh, pivoting a little bit, I think uh, another thing that you do really well and something that not everyone has the gift of of doing in the in the industry. It's like a very specific um, like niche skill set within the horse world is horse and rider matchmaking and yeah. really being able to pair horses or, or young horses with riders. So tell me a little bit about your approach to um, a little bit of that horse and rider matchmaking. Yeah, that's, that's fun. I love that. And, you know, we've really found a lot of wonderful horses for our clients or sold horses or, or just helped people, friends of ours when they've been looking. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I, I really, I am not afraid of trying a horse for the first time and making a move. And the reason for that is I've done my homework. You know, I've looked at the videos. Do I like, it's kind of similar to what I said. Do I like its expression? Mm -hmm. What's its What's its um, record like? What does it do, you know, on grass versus sand? Is it the same? So all of those questions I ask and I, and, you know, I try not, there are times when you sit on a horse and, and they kind of blow you away that you, what you see isn't maybe what you feel. Um, But for the clients, a lot of times you're looking for a good confidence builder to maybe learn how to move up or, so they need to have kind of all of those you know, check marks, or maybe you're looking for a client that has a small budget, so but they need to, so they need to be a little younger. So then what qualities do they need? They need to be no matter what brave, they need to be a bit commercial. So maybe if they don't jump big enough in the end, they have an outlet, right? So oftentimes, my homework behind the scenes, someone will be like, well, we haven't sat on anything yet. And I'm like, well, I've actually looked at a lot of horses, but they're not at all suitable. And um, it doesn't mean we might go try some, but mm-hmm. when I try something, I know that it checks off pretty much all the boxes. And now we just need to sit on it and see if what we see is what we feel. Right. And so, yeah, I think in that ways we've been successful and also not wasted people's time. I mean, I know when I'm on the flip side and have horses for sale, you know, if I have someone and I've sent the videos and this and that, and they come and they're like, okay, so I haven't seen the videos yet, but and you're like, well, what if you don't like the way it lands yeah. on it? You know, if it's a little low or a little whatever. So that's really important for me. And and what's, you know, obviously, yeah, doing my homework before even, but also just, uh, yeah, having that feeling of knowing that the match is good and how the horse and rider right away, you know, h- how they get along. And there's sometimes where actually there was one case where I had a girl who lacked experience, right? So you have to take that into consideration. She lacks a lot of experience and she gets nervous. I sat on the horse, absolutely loved it. 
found the jumps, like the horse shows you the distance, easy, Mm. beautiful, like just nicely changed straight. She gets on, she's nervous, right? Right. She's a green rider, makes some mistakes. And she's like, I don't know. I just, I don't know if I'll be able to ride him. And I'm like, you'll be able to ride him. We're buying him. Like, it doesn't matter. We're, you'll learn to ride this horse. Yep. And sure enough, it's the, it's the, her favorite horse, you know, and she, she was grateful for that. And I think that's oftentimes, you know, you've got to consider the rider that you're mounting. If I have a meter, you know, a FEI rider, a meter 30, 40 rider, amateur junior rider, that into consideration on either side, because I'm not afraid to push and pull a trigger if they're a little bit doubting when I have all that confidence and I've never gone wrong that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people, some trainers are afraid to, to put their foot down and say, Hey, like this is the horse for you. And I understand like, yeah. but it's more situational, not horse specific, you know? So I'm pretty confident with that. And I think that's maybe where it separates me a bit too. I'm not, I'm not afraid to put, uh, put my opinion out there. Yeah. You know? Definitely. Um, what would be an example of a horse in your career that you've developed from a young age and then like really seen um, remarkable success? Yeah, probably one of the more recent ones would have been a horse named Valentino de Elt, um, as a French horse uh, that I was sent to sell. And it kind of was funny. He came to me, I want to say he was eight years old and he'd had a bit of miles, but a little bit been passed around. Like Derek Henney had him in his barn. Uh, there was a couple people and really not, I mean, not in a huge amount was thought of him. And I got on him and the feeling was for me exceptional. And I went on and ended up jumping his first 150 later that year and excuse me if I'm wrong, maybe he was nine at that stage, but um, anyways, he had, he had enough miles on him, but never had jumped over 140. And I felt that he had a lot of potential. So I took him on with me all summer through the fall. And uh, sure enough, he got sold coming into Florida one winter. And I think he was one of the most winningest or clear round jumping meter 50 horses over the next couple of years with his next rider. I mean, the record is exceptional. Um, And it was just funny because for whatever reason, he just a little bit fallen through the cracks and no one really, there was enough people who kind of just doubted him. And what I felt, I felt totally opposite. I mean, he, even if maybe he, you know, he actually did jump some bigger tracks and did them very well. But I mean, it's often, it's hard to find a horse that jumped that many clear 150 rounds. And I think that's pretty awesome. And so that was a very cool part of a career of, for a horse to, you know, for, to be a part of really. Absolutely. So, yeah. That's so cool. I know you sponsor a young horse class at Thunderbird, the Crook Show Jumping Young Horse Jumper Showcase, which really kind of emphasizes the importance of affordable avenues for young horse development. So how crucial are, you know, initiatives like this for the industry's growth? What and what impact have you kind of observed from this? Yeah, it's so important. And especially just um, to have classes that whether it's 
breeders who have their own horses in it, or let's say a client owns a five or six year old and they can go win the five or six year olds or do well or produce, get produced in that division. It's just such a nice way to showcase that talent. And we took it over. Thunderbird lost their sponsorship and everyone had been so grateful for the sponsorship, but it was really under, under, um, uh, kind of built compared to the United States, the, the level in Europe and the, and the U S heights and technicality. So we kind of came in and, and did the sponsorship increase the money in the sponsorship. And then over time, you know, we've been building that to be really a good series, but we started making the spec that of the U S so, you know, that people, it was a little bit controversial, I have to say, because a lot of people, especially locals were like, well, my six-year-old can't jump the height of the six-year-olds. Well, what if you also had a breeder that their horse could, then they were being dumbed down and it wasn't really fair to what the, that talent was. So what we did was we said, well, look, if your horse isn't ready, or maybe it's not able, you can go au concours in the, in, you know, the level down. So at least you're able to still do a young horse class and they're not, you know, that you don't get the ribbon or whatever, but you know, you're able to jump what's kind of appropriate for a young horse, but we just felt it was so important for people to have a goal that kind of put them on a certain level. And that might not mean, you know, your horse is ready for it, but it's something to try to strive for. Right. And I think that's really important. Like, so, you know, sometimes you got to push, sometimes you got to pull back and know the time. So it's kind of one of those things like you need to know your horse and you need to know your program and what you're ready for and what you're not and what your own capabilities are. But I think that's really also grown the division hugely because a lot of people who are coming for the five star shows in May and Thunderbird are bringing their young horses now, you know, and actually know they can show them instead of not bringing them or having them in open classes, which only makes the division better. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the first couple of years were tough for people to kind of not everyone, a lot of people were really happy, but some people were like, wait, we've been jumping six inches weight lower than we have to, like, we're not ready for this. And it's like, well, you know, that's where even Europe's bigger, even sometimes than the state. So it's like, that's now been way more accepted, but that was the only thing we, we had a little pushback from sometimes, but um, I think now it's really taken. It. I mean, there were. I want to say there was like 29 five-year-olds or something insane. Mm. One of the, in August and May or something, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. It's very cool. Yeah. What would you say is like an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the horse world just doesn't talk that much about, or doesn't know enough about? Yeah, this is a tough one. You know, for me, I think trying to make the things that are in my control better is a big thing. I think a lot of people try to make excuses. I think a lot of people try to say, Oh, the horse is to this or the trainers to that, or, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of excuses in this industry. And I think um, that's the easy way out. And I know, you know, when you look at it, if you can really just wrap your head around doing things the right way and making sure your tax on correctly and, you're feeding your horse appropriately and they're healthy and their gut is healthy. And all of these things, I think you make life 
so much easier. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, like overshowing and overdoing things and do over bridling just because, you know, flat work could be better or mm. you could maybe work a little harder on the flat. You know, I try to really make it so that my clients know how to ride, set their own horse up. You know, right. I want them to know how to do that. I don't want to like have some secret formula that mm-hmm. I'm keeping from them. Like I want to teach them how to go do it. And so I think trying to just make all those little details as important as possible is, is huge um, in all aspects. I mean, that goes, it, that's a really broad range, but I think that's important. It, there's a lot of different, you know, parts to this industry that really affect the day-to-day ride. Yeah. And yeah. I think then, then just like, yeah, definitely taking it a step further and having that transparency between trainer and client is yeah. super important and just so yeah. much better in the long run. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's obviously some people are great at it. Um, others are not. And it's, you know, it's kind of shocking when there isn't transparency, you know, because at the end of the day, it is what it is. They're, they're living, breathing animals that we can't, you know, we can do as much to kind of control the safety and this and that. But at the end of the day too, like, I want you to learn how to ride so that you're in a position to get yourself out of trouble, you know, or to feel successful. So, yeah. I love that. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share your story and um, all your expertise with developing young horses. Um, I think it's such a an amazing and unique skill set that many try to do, but few do very well. So thank you for taking the time and sharing and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be on here. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.